0: Our reading today is Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or well, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, but the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us, yet establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, this is us heading towards COVID normal. doesn't quite feel normal yet, does it? But (laughs) hopefully we're going to get there in the next few weeks, see how we go. Do you mind if we just commit this time to the Lord now in, in prayer? Heavenly Father, thanks for the grace of your word that you've given to us and uh, to your people to learn from uh, for many, many generations. Thank you for your graciousness in giving us these things, in giving us teachers, in giving us your spirit to apply it to our lives, in giving us the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus, and his resurrection power at work amongst us now. So that we may hear you and live in you and for you. Uh, So we ask that you'd help us to do that now as we come to the Psalms again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I I have one point to make today. And if you've got a Bible or a device with Psalm 90 on it, it'd be helpful to have it open in front of you. And here's my point. Worship is home. Worship is home. Now, the psalms, of course, are designed to be used. designed to be used by uh, congregations together. So we'll be saying parts of this psalm together as I go through this talk. So let's say together, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Worship is home. Worship is belonging. Worship is where we find identity
2: and rest and hope and a future. Moses. You remember the story about Moses, that great prophet of the old
1: covenant. He led the exodus of God's people out of slavery in Egypt um, and he, he gave them the words of the law. In fact, the, the first five books of our Bible are traditionally attributed to Moses' work. But he had a hard life. I don't know if you know the story. But let me just briefly tell it to you. It, it, he was born at the time when, when the king of the Egyptians was, was putting to death the son's Of Hebrew women. It was was kind of a way of limiting the population, but also a a cultural assimilation attempt by that empire. He was raised in the palace of that king through some miraculous things that that happened because he's got a clever mum and a clever sister. But around the time he's 40 years of age, he has to flee Egypt on a charge of murder. And then he lived rough on the Sinai Peninsula, which, which is a largely desert place, herding cattle and goats and sheep for 40 years. And it's during this time that God uh, calls him to come back into Egypt to to bring his people out of slavery. Uh, You can read about that in Exodus chapter 3. So what he's basically asked to do is to face down the leader of the most powerful nation in the world at the time, the, the king of Egypt, and then to ask him to let go of a major part of his economy basically the slaves uh, would be able to walk free out of Egypt. And you can read about that. And and a lot of miracles had to happen there. And it wasn't pretty. The Egyptian army uh, ends up getting swallowed by the, the, the Red Sea. But the people of God are able to leave. But then for the next 40 years, Moses has to lead a rebellious, ungrateful, grumbling Israel around the wilderness that he'd been a shepherd in. And I don't know how his life ends, but it ends this way. He stands on Mount Nebo looking into the promised land, looking into the land of Canaan, but he's told he can't go in there. He can see it from a distance, but he can't go in there because at one point while he was leading the people in the wilderness, he lost his temper and he made an error of judgment and God said, well, that's it, you you, you can't go into the promised land. So, So to put that all another way, Moses never had a home.
2: He never belonged anywhere. (laughs) Amazing. Crack open this psalm. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. There it is. Worship is home. And the psalm describes how the world was brought forth
1: in, in, in the pains of childbirth over long periods of time. But, but even that, that time it takes for the mountains to be formed and the seas to be formed is nothing compared to the eternity of God because God is God from eternity to, to eternity. Everything else is changing. like Mountains are being born. Seas are being formed. Creatures are coming up and dying and, 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 and fading away. But God... Is the same from everlasting to everlasting. He's not stumbling or dying. No, he is home. And as this psalm talks about creation, it then goes on to meditate on the first couple of chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2. So let's read that meditation out together now. Together. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass." And we fly away.
2: Genesis 2 and 3. Now, you remember the story, won't you? Um, that in the middle of this wild
1: creation that, that God births, as it is, from, from the world, he creates this safe place. He creates um, a home for the first humans. Um, and the mark of this original home is that the original human beings shared their lives with God. I love the way the poetry of Genesis 2 puts that. It, 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 it says, at the end of each, walk, end of each working day, uh, the man and the woman would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening with God. It, it was that kind of friendship. They didn't turn on Netflix, no. They spent time with the Lord. And that's how they ended their days. They were at home with life himself. It made them. And, and, and so their lives were renewed every day. Now, it, it, the story goes on, of course, to Genesis chapter 3, where the temptation is given to the first human beings to replace God with themselves. And they grab that chance. And the judgment they're given, which this psalm calls the anger of God is, is terrifying, it's frightening. In fact, that this judgment is a theme of, of the entire Bible of how God does judgment.
2: And basically what God does is he gives them what they want and they get cut off from God. And they have to go into a harder world where they have to make their
1: own ways, where they have to save themselves. They've got to sustain their own lives and and. Their ability to support their own lives, the work of their hands, gets degraded. It just toil becomes something that begins to wear them out and kill them. Uh, the, their ability to hold on to life gets degraded because eventually they, they will die because they've been cut off from life himself, the giver of life. And their ability even to reproduce and raise life gets degraded. because So there's hardships, uh, not only in giving birth to children, but also the hardship and heartbreak of raising the generations after us. That's the story of Eve and Cain. And the psalm reflects on all this, this world that we now inhabit. Now, why? Why Put in corporate prayer a reflection on our human frailty and the fact that we've been cut off from God. Why do that? Well, it tells us why. In the next few verses, let's say this together. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our
2: days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, you may remember last year when we were
1: going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we, you get to the end of that book, in those last two chapters, where the writer is asking young men and women at the outset of their adult life to meditate upon the frailty and brevity of life. And the purpose of that meditation was to make them wise while they're young
2: to choose to make their lives an act of worship. To choose to make their lives an act
1: of worship. Wise enough to find their home, their safety, their identity, their purpose, their meaning, their rest in God. Not in relationships or achievements or overwork or in self-indulgence or in uh, wisdom and new skill sets all the things that Ecclesiastes explores. That's not going to be your home. That's not where you're going to rest. None of those things will fully bear the weight of your life. But be wise enough to come home and to rest with our Lord who is our creator God, make, make, make your life an act of worship because to worship is to come home. And so in the meditation of this psalm, what it's basically teaching us is that the strifes and troubles that we see in the world around us now and that we
2: experience are saying to us, be wise enough to come home. Worship. Oh, man, that is hard, isn't it? The stripes
1: and the troubles, that's what fills our vision. That's what we see. That, that's, what, that's what takes our priorities. That's what's going on in our minds and our hearts and keeps us awake at night. But you see what the psalm is saying, when you see the strifes and the troubles, be wise enough
2: to make your life about worship. Come home. But the psalm doesn't leave us there. It, it goes on
1: and actually becomes a prayer For help. So let's say this prayer for help together. Together, relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now that word there, you see it there, top of page, verse 13, relent. There's only one person in the Bible who uses that
2: word in that way. Apart from in this psalm, guess who it is? Moses. Spot on. The word means literally to turn, relent, or repent.
1: Only Moses in the Bible ever asks God to repent of a course of action. I mean, I think the standout time is the golden calf. Remember that? You know, uh, people have come out of Egypt. They've been rescued. They're at The foot of Mount Sinai, it's a bit scary. Moses goes up. He's receiving the words of the law. And uh, God says, they've broken out against me. They've made this idol, a golden calf, like of a you know a baby cow, not the muscle on the back of your leg. That's what we're talking about here. And they're worshipping this as a fertility symbol. I mean, I get that. My brothers are farmers. I understand that. But that's what they're doing. They're saying, oh, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And God says, oh, I'm going to, that's it. I'm going to have to wipe these guys out. Just leave them alone. And Moses says to them, no, Lord, repent of this. Repent of this. Don't don't do this. Because then the Egyptians are going to diss you, man, because they're going to say, well, you only brought them out here to wipe them out. Moses goes into God's face and has the argument and asks him to repent of that course of action, to turn around, to change his ideas. So it's a really interesting psalm because if God turns us back to the dust in verse 3 of this psalm, here in verse 13, the prayer is that God himself would turn back and balance our lives with joy and gladness to counter all the struggles that we've known in life. And the prayer goes on not only to say that God would ask, that God would give us joy, but also that God would make our lives useful.
2: The prayer is that our lives would not be in vain or meaningless, even if they are brief, that God
1: would bless the work of our hands. What does that mean? It means that the output of our lives would be a gift that we can pass on to others. Or to put that another way, that the next generations will not always be having to continually start again. There will be a heritage for them from us. And we forget it, don't we? I, I do. The, the advantages that we have, we're, we're building on what people have built before us, what we've been left with, even at a really basic level, the, the streets, the footpaths that we, we, we walk down, the, the, the electrical system <laughs> that, that we have. I, I live in a flat overlooking this, the, the power grid that comes into Melbourne from Loyang B. And every morning I look at it and I think of my grandfather, because he helped build those towers. There they are,
2: our technology, our education system, our our medicine. But even deeper, think about the heritage
1: of social values in our culture or in a nation. And if you don't believe that we've got really strong, powerful values in our culture, you ask some of our overseas students what it's like to come into Australia and to run into basically a Christian ethic on how you do life and so different to the country that they've come from. That's been built up over generations, or a godly upbringing. What a great heritage that is, or the life of the church throughout the world. We're standing here today because of what others have have kept for us and preserved for us in the past. So this is brilliant praying, isn't it, really? You think about it. Use the troubles of this life to prompt us to seek wisdom in God and then pray that our daily work, our daily lives, that we, the lives that we live will be an act of worship that
2: finds rest and joy from God and purpose, a purpose that we can pass on to build up what
1: comes after us. So every small act of worship in our daily lives, in our work, it's us coming home when we do that. That's what's going on. It was Jesus, wasn't it, who said before his death that he goes to prepare a place for those who are his friends, that in my father's house there were many rooms and we come home by trusting him. It was Paul the apostle who said that in Christ, our work done in his name is not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not empty. It's not an eternal heritage because of the resurrection Of Jesus from the dead. It was the Apostle John who saw in the book of Revelation home, the open worship of God for all the nations of the world descending to the earth in the New Jerusalem. And it's restoring and it's healing the nations of the world. This massive Eden returns to the earth. But this time the doors aren't shut. They're not guarded by an angel with a flaming sword. They're doors that are open for the nations of the world to stream through into. Why? How is this possible? How, how do the struggles and the sorrows of this brief life pass to be overwhelmed by joy and purpose? Because of the greater Moses. The greater Moses who fulfills the words God gave to Moses. Moses. Because in Jesus, we now know even, even death is not the final word on our worship. A life lived in worship goes on. In Jesus, we see the prayer in this psalm gets finally fulfilled. We see the great turning back of God in Jesus, don't we? The judgment and the struggle of daily life, it falls on him and not on us in the cross. The life we struggle to maintain by saving ourselves is made joyful for us for eternity. We're given this this grace gift of of the resurrection that is shared with all those who entrust themselves to Jesus. And I know, I know, I get it. Our, Our world still seems to be on the wrong side of crazy, doesn't it? But this psalm tells us to let the crazy cause us to ask for wisdom to number our days
2: and to ask for joy from God each day and the grace to do work that will benefit others. The gospel tells us that nothing we do as we live in
1: worship is vain, is meaningless, empty. So we can make the spreadsheet an act of worship. The swatting for the exam the ditches, the, the, the dishes,
2: the doctor's room, an act of worship. The care of others, the hard conversation, the difficult, costly decision. It can be an act of worship. Because worship is us coming home, asking God to establish the works of our hands, to give us joy. Worship is home.